Welcome to the Psych Central Show, where each episode presents an in-depth look at issues from the fields of psychology and mental health. With your host, Gabe Howard, and featuring Vincent M. Wales. Welcome to this week's episode of the Psych Central Show. My name is Gabe Howard, and with me as always is Vincent M. Wales. Vin, say hi. Hello. We are going to discuss panic and anxiety disorders this week. We're going to go ahead and jump right into it. The first thing that I want to confess is that I live with anxiety disorders. I'm assuming that all of you have read my bio and are intimately familiar with my medical diagnosis of anxiety. And Vin, have you ever experienced a panic attack? Honestly, I'm not sure. Um, I do experience a bit of what you would call social anxiety, but I'm not sure I could really say attack. Yeah. That, that, that seems a bit excessive. The first thing we should probably define is the difference between anxiety, which most people have. I, I, I really feel strongly that I could say that everybody has experienced anxiety at some point sure. in their life. So we really have to define the difference between an anxiety attack, anxiety disorder, a problem with anxiety, and just, you know, normal butterflies in our stomach. Okay. That's your job. No, I don't think it is. <laughs> <laughs> Well, anxiety, of course, you know, we all have it. Every, every kid in school has anxiety before a test. Uh, you get anxiety when you're, when you're going out on a date with somebody you've never been out with before. There's, there's that nervousness aspect. But that's, that's nowhere near what people like you experience, Gabe, because what you've got is, you know, a clinical diagnosis that you have absolutely no control over, and it's far more broad than the circumstances that everybody else experiences with anxiety. One of the positively aggravating parts of, of anxiety and panic disorder is its ability to come in for no reason. One of the examples that you used are you're nervous going out on a date, like a first date that, that causes you know you to be nervous. And, and that's good. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. You should be nervous. You're in an unusual situation with uh, an unusual person. We're going to... We're going to go ahead and leave that in. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but it's different when you're doing something that you've done a hundred times. I, I've had a panic attack sitting on the couch watching television. And, and not the news or uh, just just literally a sitcom. You know, I'm sitting there. I'm, I'm watching the, the latest Thursday night show. And uh, I begin to tense. I begin to sweat. I, I, my, my heart starts to race. And I... I feel as though I'm going to I'm going to die. I mean, I just shortness of breath and I, I clench and I feel heavy and I have trouble putting together words. And I'm in my own house. And, and that's what I really want to get across. There's there's nothing wrong externally. It's it's all internal. I am quite literally freaking out. I am anxious. I am being attacked by my own anxiety for no reason. And when these things happen, can you identify any sort of trigger? Occasionally. That's the long and the short of it, I guess. Sometimes there is a trigger, of course. I can say, hey, doing this causes panic attacks more often than not. And of course, the natural desire then is to avoid those things. And I do as much as I can. But I have to say, the majority of time, no. 
No. And I try to rationalize things in my head. You know, early on when I was first diagnosed, we'll go with the sitting there watching television and having the panic attack. I would convince myself that, oh, the the, the show was about an absentee father and uh, my biological father abandoned me. And that's what caused the panic attack. I, I suppose there might be an element of truth to that. Yeah, but, I was going to say, why do you think that's a, why do you think that's a rationalization? I think it's very, a very valid possibility there. It's, it certainly is a possibility, but it, it's not conclusive. And the links that I will go to to prove that it's not, I just want control. I'll, I'll be the first to admit it. I want to be able to control my body, my sensations, and my mental state. And if I can say, hey, the reason that I'm having a panic attack is because the thing that was on the television gave me a panic attack, I, I kind of want to latch onto that. But here's the thing. I, I need to be able to watch a comedy show on television without having a panic attack. It is, a, it is interrupting to my life if every time I see something that is close to something that bothers me, I say, oh, well, it's perfectly reasonable to have a panic attack because it's not. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Vin, one of the things that you talked about at the head of the show or the start of the show was was social anxiety. Now, there's it's in the anxiety spectrum. Obviously, anxiety covers a lot of things. But what's the difference between social anxiety and panic attacks? Well, since I've never had a panic attack, I really can't speak from experience. But but for me, you know, the social anxiety only comes about in, in fairly specific circumstances. I, I've always said I, I don't really I really don't like crowds. You know, I much prefer to get together with friends, for example, on a very small, intimate level, you know, have three or four friends over to my place and just sit around and talk rather than going to a friend's house for a party. Even if I know 95% of the people there, it still is a bit overwhelming to me and I have to, I have to take periodic breaks. Now, that could just, some people might say, well, that's just because you're an introvert and you need you know, to be alone to recharge and everything. And yeah, that's probably partially true, but I think it goes past that. It's, it's a situation where sometimes I will choose to stay home instead of put myself in that situation. And that's where it becomes problematic. When we're talking about panic attacks, one of the things that you said, and, and the big difference that I would like the audience to understand is, Vin's in control. You're in control. You've decided when to go, when to take the breaks, you can move around, you have your faculties, and while it may go past mere discomfort or dislike, you still have an element of you can make choices. Mm-hmm, right. In the midst of an anxiety attack, a panic attack, the the choices become very, very difficult. It's a bit like saying that the person in the wheelchair can make the choice to walk. They can't. It's not an option for them. They have to find other ways around. During a panic attack, you would freeze. Uh, to, to use Vin's example of, of being in a crowd of people, if Vin were having a panic attack, he would be frozen in the room, trying to get out, unable to articulate that he needs to get out, and not knowing what to do. Uh, or in, in, in very, very bad cases, for lack of a better word, Vin would get out of the situation by doing something that could be embarrassing or damaging. Uh, start screaming and run through uh, the door, knock people over to get out of the way. Uh, because it's a fear response, you're frightened. It's not unreasonable to push people out of the way and run out of a burning building. Because it's scary, you feel like you're going to die if you stay. So, so those are a couple of, uh, you know, layman's differences between social anxiety and a panic attack. Let me ask you this. When you have a panic attack, 
how long do they last typically? They're not momentary things. They, they need to last for a little while to really, in, at least in my mind, to be classified as a panic attack. If it causes me discomfort for just a few minutes, maybe it could be the start of a panic attack that I was able to dial back. But I personally still sort of look at that as just the natural level of anxiety that everybody has at some point. I've had panic attacks last a couple hours where I just can't calm down. I, I'm literally hiding in a corner, rocking back and forth, sweat pouring off of my body. And, you know, people around me that understand what's going on, just just wiping the sweat off of me with a towel, telling me it'll be OK and starting to decide if maybe I'm having a heart attack and nobody noticed. Uh, and then I've had them, you know, 10, 15 minutes and I'm able to sort of recharge and jump back in. I've had a lot of experience with panic disorder and I really, really try to control my own destiny, but that's not so easy. Of course, I carry in my pocket medication that if a panic attack comes in and reaches what I consider, you know, critical mass, meaning I'm going to have the full blown panic attack or I'm having the full blown panic attack, I can take that medication and it helps me calm down a lot faster than back before I even knew what was going on. And when... When did you have your first panic attack? Do you remember? I I honestly believe that I had panic attacks in high school, probably before high school, probably in middle school. My family really chalked them up to other things. Oh, you're afraid to go to school today because you didn't do your homework. Oh, you're having trouble making friends and that's why you're acting this way. I, I hate to beat up on my family, but any mental illness related thing that happened, they had the quick stereotypical answer for it. I wouldn't be X if I didn't do Y. And that prevented me from getting diagnosed for a long time. And, and here's something that I want to tell people. I thought that panic attacks were hunger when I was younger. Every time I got that pit in the feeling in my stomach, every time my heart started to race, every time I started to sweat, I, I thought that I was hungry. So I would eat. And I think this is one of the contributing factors, one of the contributing factors to me ballooning up to 550 pounds. I ate every time I experienced anxiety, depression, mania. I just, I thought they were hunger sensations because that's the only thing I could link them to. Gotcha. I want, I want to just say real quickly though, that Sure, you do beat up on your folks a lot, but the truth of the matter is that I think there's probably more people out there who would react the same way that your parents did than otherwise. Nobody wants to think that, that their 15-year-old their is having anxiety attacks, so they're going to come up with some other explanation for it just because it's more likely, probably, in their minds. I often say that, that family members are in an impossible situation. And this is true whether it's anxiety disorder, depression, bipolar disorder, I mean, just or, or even physical illnesses. They're sort of along for the journey with you, specifically for panic attacks. Let's say that, that me and all of my friends, family, et cetera, we all buy expensive tickets. We got Hamilton tickets. I mean, that's that's the hot show in town. I mean, we paid a couple thousand dollars for those tickets. And now Gabe is having a panic attack. That's a big deal. I'm sick. So I understand why I don't want to go. I'm having a panic attack. But what about the rest of the group? They spent a lot of money. They've been looking forward to this. It's not something that's easily reschedulable. They're upset. Sure. But should they be more upset than the guy that's sick? I mean, I've got two things. I'm going to miss the show and I'm sick. They've only got one thing. So what? We just dismiss their views entirely? No, they, they start to make the decision that, hey... 
Maybe next time we all get Hamilton tickets, we don't invite Gabe. Just in case. Mm-hmm. Well, now I feel isolated. Now I feel alone. Now I'm not part of the group, all because of an illness that I didn't ask for. So I start to think that they're mean. So this puts us at odds. This is a very common thing when it comes to anxiety and panic attacks. Because it, people with anxiety and panic attacks are the worst last-minute cancelers of all time. Right. And it's hard not to blame your friends for starting to exclude you. But I don't want to be excluded. Right. Right. So let's get back to the actual attacks themselves. Uh, aside from the medication, what other things are there that, that can help you calm down more quickly, if anything? So the first thing I want to say is, you know, the, the question is, is probably worded a, a, a little bit wrong for, for our podcast because the things that help me, there's not a lot that helps me. I mean, I have the breathing exercises and mindfulness and you know, radical acceptance. And none of those things really help me. That said, they do help a lot of people that I talk to. If a breathing exercise will work for you, you should do it. Doesn't work for me, but, but it works for a lot of people. What tends to help me is, well, I suppose radical acceptance does help me. I just try to steer into the curve. I try to realize that it's going to happen. There's not a lot that I can do about it and move on. So that is helpful, but, but in the midst of it, in the full-blown panic attack, not a lot. I mean, the, the, the medication is helpful, but the medication has its own drawbacks. For example, the second I put that pill in my mouth, I can no longer drive. So if I have a panic attack and I'm alone, well, I've got to decide, do I want to stay here and not drive for the next hour, which makes me now unable to leave? Can you can drive while during a panic attack? No, I can't drive during a panic attack either, but let's say that it's a 15-minute panic attack. I'm out in 15 minutes. I made the decision a long time ago that the minute I take that pill, I'm not operating a car for an hour. I don't care if I feel fine 10 minutes later. I now have a drug in my system that I cannot fully control or respond to. It would be no different in my mind than, than driving while high on drugs or, or drunk. I'm not going to play the, oh, I'm fine, I can handle it game. So, but you're right. I, I can't drive during a panic attack either. I've had panic attacks while driving and had to pull over to the side of the road, but I don't want to just pop that drug in my mouth because, Hey, an hour later, I'd still be sitting there. Right. You've told me how your parents reacted to them when you were younger. How do other people react, you know, in your adult life? I, I have some of the greatest stories of people just being so incredibly kind to me. I had a roommate a long time ago, and, and I, I, I say that he was the best roommate in the world, and this is how I knew that I shouldn't have a roommate, because I just hated living with him. We worked separate <laughs> shifts. I almost never saw him. He was constantly at his girlfriend's. He cleaned the entire house, and just every and he stayed in his room when he was home, and every time he walked in, I thought, why are you in my space? But one time, I, I just had the, the mother of all panic attacks, and... and and he could tell, and I was sitting just in a pair of boxer shorts, so try to get that image out of your head, and I was drenched in sweat. The couch was drenched in sweat, and it, this man that I was living with actually got a towel and just, just started wiping it off my body, and he brought me pretzels, because pretzels helped me for some reason, the salty snacks, and it, you know, picture two grown men, one of them in his boxer shorts being wiped off by another man. That's just like, dude, it'll be fine. 
it was an awkward and embarrassing moment for me. But, you know, afterwards I thought, wow, just what remarkable kindness from somebody, especially, especially in an age where wiping the sweat off of a mostly naked man would just not be, (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure he appreciates me telling that story, but it just let me know that, you know, he acknowledges it an illness and it is. Uh, luckily, the next time that happened, it was with my wife. And, you know, that's a story that's much easier to tell. But people don't always respond favorably. Because, again, let's let's go back to the, the mythical Hamilton tickets. We're, we're in the lobby. We can't get our money back. We can't trade them in. You, you had, I've had the panic attack and second intermission. And I want to go home. And they're just like, why? And I think, well, if I fell down and broke my leg, you'd be willing to leave. Well, yeah, because that doesn't happen every other month. (laughs) So you think that maybe they just want to tell you to suck it up and get over it? My really, really close friends, they don't want to tell me to suck it up and get over with, but they do want to say, look, this isn't the activity for you. And it's understandable. If I had a friend that, you know, had no arms and no legs, I wouldn't invite him on the ski trip. It's not personal. Just skiing is not the activity for them. So, but, but I want to say, no, 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 no. This time is going to be different. And they want to believe me. And sometimes it is different, but how do you weigh it? And the thing that I want to say about that is we have actually put some rules in place. And that is if I have a panic attack during the second intermission of something, we don't leave. We don't. Gabe sits in the in the bathroom, the lobby, and waits patiently because that's just the deal that we made. And mm-hmm. that allows them to invite me. And that's where I had to be mature. On one hand, I want to be like, hey, I'm sick and I want to go home. But I have to remember that I don't want to ruin their fun either. So by talking it out and by coming up with compromises about these things, it, it actually has made the situation a lot better. I still get invited to things and they're not worried about missing them. But it is a it is a hard blow. I'm sure if I were being honest with myself that them knowing that I was in the lobby having a panic attack by myself, that's got to weigh on them some. They're good people. But this was the best compromise for everybody. There have been instances where your friends or whomever did get angry with you over a situation like this? In the beginning, we all got angry with each other because they didn't know why I was acting this way. And that's what they said. Why are you acting this way? Why are you doing this? What's going on? Why do you cancel all the time? And I would get it a lot. And I didn't have an answer to give them. They just thought I was being a jerk. And quite frankly, I kind of thought maybe I was being a jerk too. I, I, I I didn't know why I was canceling at the last minute or wanting to go home in the middle or acting erratically. But hey, I was. And it's easy to assign a moral value to that. So yeah, we got in lots of fights about it. And there's friends to this day that I don't have because they just decided that I was unreliable. And, and they right. were right. Having a right. good excuse for being unreliable does not make you less unreliable. Well, you know, you said something that I think is is really, really important there. You said that you felt like maybe you were just being a jerk, too. I think that there's nothing worse than not understanding your own behavior. It's bad enough when you're trying to understand the behavior of a loved one. But when it's yourself and you don't get it, that's just above and beyond. And it's impossible to explain to them. And, and there's, you're right. Not only did I feel alone in my own mind, I was unable to get people on board because I didn't know what to tell them. Right. I didn't want to tell them that I was a jerk because, well, you know, who wants to tell them that you're a jerk? <laughs> but 
And I didn't necessarily agree with it, but they were just like, why, why, why? And these are not unreasonable questions. Right. Gabe, why are you behaving this way? I don't know was the truth, but it sounded absolutely like a lie. And that is where anxiety disorder, in my opinion, is the most damaging. Your behavior mirrors bad behavior, but it's not coming from a bad place. But even the person that's doing it doesn't realize that. And the whole thing crumbles instantly around that person and everybody around them. And it's isolating. Panic and anxiety is probably at its worst, extraordinarily isolating. It makes you feel completely alone. So you've had a panic attack. What happens after? Are there any residual effects, anything, you know, repercussions or aftershocks or or what have (laughs) it? What's it like? Aside from having to take soaking wet jeans off of my body, which is not the easiest thing to do. Denim just does not like to be wet. <laughs> Once it's over, it's over. There's explanation. Why did this happen? You're, there's a fear response. What can I do to make it not happen again? I'm almost a little bit disturbed at how good I am at getting over them. I'll have these really, really bad panic attacks that are scary to the people around me. And now I'm fine. So I'm like, hey, let's go get something to eat. And they're still kind of shaken up. Right. You know, they're, they're, they're watching this and they're just like, oh my God, the horror. And I'm like, what? It's done now. And they're just like, oh, just like that. Just like that. We're turning it off. Just like that. And the answer is, yeah, a little bit. That's pretty much exactly what we're doing. And mm. so it goes. Then we have come to the end of our show because, well, that's what happens at the end. And then it's just over. <laughs> yeah, it's just over, just like that. We're just, <laughs> just we're gonna, like that. We're gonna roll the credits, and Vin and I are gonna go on and do whatever we want, and the rest of you will be like, "Hey, what happened?" And that's the uh, <laughs> that's the exciting part of the Psych Central show. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, leave us a rating, write us a review, forward this to your friends, post us on Facebook, share us on Twitter. As always, we are always around, and we love your comments. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in, and we will see you next week. PsychCentral.com is the internet's oldest and largest independent mental health website. PsychCentral is overseen by Dr. John Grohall, a mental health expert and one of the pioneering leaders in online mental health. Our host, Gabe Howard, is a professional speaker, award-winning writer, and mental health advocate. You can find more information on Gabe and his work at GabeHoward.com. Vincent M. Wales is an award-winning speculative fiction novelist and suicide prevention crisis counselor. You can find more information on Vincent at vincentmwales.com. If you have feedback about the show, please email talkback at psychcentral.com. There are few words more misunderstood and misused than OCD. Imagine having unwanted thoughts stuck in your head all day, no matter how hard you try to make them go away, and then having to pretend that everything is okay despite having to feel crippled inside. That's OCD. One in 40 people suffer from it globally, but there's hope. If you have OCD and need help, you can get better with specialized treatment. NoCD offers effective, affordable, and convenient treatment for OCD and is covered by many major insurance plans. Go to NoCD.com to learn more. That's NoCD.com.